Good day, everyone, and welcome to Overflow's new series on work. You're going to spend a lot of time working, over 80,000 hours. That is a lot. And surveys have shown that about one-third of Americans say they hate their job. Other surveys show that they're in the wrong job. You could have the wrong job. You can even like your job and not be the one that's best suited for your position, for what you're doing. Many people who are successful at work really don't feel very fulfilled when they get home. They're making money. They have a lot of income, but they don't feel fulfilled at their work. I read some comments about people in a survey and asked them what they thought about work. Here are some of their responses. I enjoy work. My kids like to eat. I enjoy the camaraderie with the guys. It's good. I get to pay my bills, make a living. Another said, what I think about work is you have to do it. It's something you just can't really complain about. You just got to do it. Another said, if I had a choice between working and not working, I wouldn't work. But my income and the house I have, I need to have a job. So off to work I go. Another says, I don't really mind it, but it's not something I want to do every single day. Another said, works great when you're on your lunch hour. But if you like what you're doing, it's really fun. And that's the way it should be. Another says, I used to have a job. Jobs are great. You get money. But now, I don't have one. Another person says, work, it's a necessary evil. You owe bills, so you got to go pay. If I didn't have, owe any bills, I wouldn't work. Another person says, it's a necessity, now we have to work. If I had my way, I think I would do go golfing every day. But I don't. I don't have the luxury of that. Another said, what do I think about work? Well, work is a place where I spend too much time at a place I don't want to be at, doing something I don't want to do, making money for somebody I don't even like. I'd much rather be business for myself, spending time with my family, than spending time making somebody else rich. Here's the fact. If people were honest, we would say, we work because we have to. If I didn't have to work, I wouldn't do it. Besides, it's just a job. But God says something different. It's not just a job. See, your job, your work is a part of God's plan for your life. Human beings were made to work. And God has a number of goals he wants to accomplish through your work on you. It isn't just a job. It's not just to make money. God can use your work to do some profound things in your life. So we need to change the way we think about work. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people. So whether you're a cab driver, a doctor, a president, or a truck driver, or whatever you do, do with all your heart as if you're doing it for God, not for people. Because your job matters to God. See, God has four goals for your life. God wants you to know and love him. He wants you to grow in character like him. He wants you to use your talents and gifts to serve others. And he wants to share the good news about his love with other people. That's really what God wants from us in life. If I could boil down the Bible into a nutshell, that's kind of like where I would go with it. So God wants us to use all four of these goals through your profession, your career. And in this pod, we're going to focus specifically on growing spiritually at work. How? God uses three things at your work to help you to grow spiritually. He uses problems, people, 
and pressure. So let's look at those three. First one. First way you grow spiritually at work is through problems. How? He uses problems to change your character. Every job has its unique problems. When I worked as a paperboy with no day-to-day boss, I had problems. And when I worked at McDonald's, I had different problems. And when I worked at a church, I had even different, more unique problems, vastly different ones. The fact is we all have unique problems with our unique jobs. And God wants to use those problems in your life to help you build character. Romans 5 says when we run into problems and trials, they help us learn to endure. And endurance develops strength of character and helps us to trust God more and more each time. See, God is far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. He's far more interested in perfecting you than he is in pampering you. God's goal in life is not to make you comfortable. His goal in life is to make you grow up. He uses problems in your life to teach you character. It's like every parent. What do we want from our kids? I don't want them to be comfortable. I want them to grow in character. I want them to be successful. I want them to be secure. And I want them to grow in knowledge and in wisdom and in experience. I don't just want them to be comfortable. Why do we think that God just wants us to be comfortable? Because that's what we want in life, right? We just want to be happy and comfortable and not have to do much. But that's not really what life is about. So whenever you have problems at work, you need to ask not why, why is this happening to me, but what? What do you want me to learn from this, God? What's the character problem you want me to work through this difficulty? What value, what attitude, what action, what responsibility, what character issues in my life that you have so allowed this problem to work on me? Because while you're working on your job, God's working on you. God can even use the temptations you face at work. I know many Christians who say, I don't want to work with people who aren't Christian because I get tempted all the time and they're a bad influence on me. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to temptation. I get tempted all the time. It's not a sin to, to, to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. He just never gave in. And God can even use the temptations in your life for good things. He can use it to build character. You can't completely say, I'm an honest person, unless you've ever had the opportunity to be dishonest. You can't say, I'm a fair person, unless you ever had the opportunity of choice to be unfair. You can't say, I'm a responsible person, unless you ever had the choice or opportunity or temptation to be irresponsible. Every temptation that comes in your life is an opportunity for growth. I'm reminded of one temptation every year around April 15th, tax time, because years ago, I decided to not opt out of Social Security. Now, as a minister, I could opt out of Social Security by saying, I religiously believe that the Bible is against Social Security, (laughs) which it's not. But I had to like, all I had to do was sign a document and I would get so much more money every single paycheck. Now, I wouldn't get any Social Security disbursements when I retire, but I wouldn't have to pay into it for years and years and years and years. And all it would take was a decision. And I made the decision. I said, I don't believe that. I could lie about it and save some a few bucks, but that would make me have less integrity. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be a person of integrity. I'm going to be honest. And I feel like it was the very first test that I faced of honesty in my position. 
And every April 15th, when I fill out my taxes and I have to pay that extra percentage, I realize, did I really make the right call? No, of course I did. But I know so many people who didn't just so that they would pay less money, but their integrity goes away. Every temptation that comes into your life is an opportunity for growth. Every temptation is an opportunity to change your character, to build it, to develop strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different than what others experience. God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong you can't stand up against it. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you'll not give into it. Temptations are resistible. God will make a way out. If you ask him to, he'll provide a way. He won't let it become too strong. And when you hear somebody say, oh, I couldn't help myself, they're not telling the truth. God says, if they're a believer, I'll always give them a way out. You just got to go through the door. You got to make the choice. So you can't help yourself, but God can. God wants to use problems in your life to teach you character. My first job, well, after being a paper boy, was McDonald's. I got the job two days after my 15th birthday with working papers. My best friend and I applied at the same time and we both got hired right on the spot. I was making an amazing $4.10 an hour back in 1988. In the summer, I got to open the store, so my rate was increased to $5.25 an hour. I was making it big. It was kind of funny riding to McDonald's on my bike at 4.30 in the morning because I was too young to drive a car. And the security procedures were to have cars ride around the McDonald's and look for anything suspicious before getting out and walking up to the door and unlocking the store. It was humorous to me to be on a bike in the middle of cars driving around the store a couple times. Because I opened the store that summer, I got to know the store's manager pretty well. And she was actually the one that hired me. I liked her, but inside my heart, I had contempt for Lisa, a 30-plus-year-old woman working as a manager at McDonald's. Not the most prestigious career. And she was very nice, but I looked down from her from my pompous 15-year-old self. I remember she would always face customers yelling and demanding and irritating voices, but she never raised her voice or got mad. She had to face people quitting in the middle of their shift, workers cursing at her, but she never acted inappropriately. For me, I usually worked in the back of McDonald's because you know what? I had an attitude problem. Because whenever somebody would argue with me, I'd argue right back. Whenever somebody would cuss me, I'd cuss right back to their face. I wasn't the most mature 15-year-old. I, I think I was in the, I don't know, the bottom 10% of the least mature 15-year-olds on the planet. That's how immature I was. I mean, I, I'm not, I was pretty rude. And in fact, I didn't work up front, the register or the drive-thru because I couldn't handle customer interactions. So they would always put me back flipping burgers or my dream, making fresh biscuits. Oh, so much fun. Or serving those glorious McRibs. Ah. But hardly ever in the drive-thru or front register because I was a punk. And I knew it all. And I was always right. And I remember one particular nasty customer came in and just reamed Lisa out for like 15 minutes while she maintained a cool smile. After that, I think someone who knew her came up to her and started talking to her. But it was obvious this person was looking down on her and mocking her with her words. Her smile never left her face. And I experienced all this as I was working as a front cashier because we were so short-staffed that the person with the worst attitude, me, was forced to go up and wait on customers. 
But after the customer left, she went back to her office. And a few minutes later, I had something to ask her about. So I went back, but her door was closed. And her door, office door is never closed. I was about to knock on it when I heard a sniffle. I put my ear up to the door and I heard her sobbing softly in her office. This woman that I looked down upon, I had no idea what she dealt with, how she handled it with such class and how hard it was on her. I just viewed her as a good boss, but I looked down on her for working at McDonald's. And when I thought about how she handled her job and treated me as an employee, I realized what an immature little jerk I was. I had no idea what her life was like. I don't know how hard she worked to get to this position, but I did know she worked over 90 hours a week but was salaried. I remember making a commitment at that time to always do my best for her because she always did her best for me, to never make her life difficult. In fact, when I eventually quit 18 months later, I did it when she was off to manage another store. I didn't think I could have quit on her because she was such an amazing boss. But her replacement, well, I can't say what I want to say about him. <laughs> Looking back, this was the first lesson I remember of growing up. It caused a major shift in my attitude at work towards people I looked down on. I stopped defining people by their job. I stopped yelling or arguing with complaining customers and coworkers. I listened with patience all because of Lisa. I got rid of my problem of arguing and being disruptive with people. I actually started to work all the time at the front because my attitude changed so dramatically. I worked through the drive-thru even. That was fun. And it was great in the summer that I didn't have to stand in front of the hot grill flipping burgers. Well, we really didn't flip burgers. We just put them down and then we pressed this huge like press on top of them and it cooked them on the top and the bottom but it was hot. So I liked working up front or my dream of making buttermilk biscuits and salads. I began to look at my problems and difficulties differently because I had an example of a lone woman who was my first boss, who was phenomenally strong and unbelievably kind in the most difficult of places to manage. And you know what the sad thing about that is? When I left, I never saw her again. I tried. I actually looked her up. I don't know where she went. I wanted to thank her for all that, for how she was used in my life to change my character and the problems that I dealt with because of her. But I never had a chance. See, God uses problems at work to change your character. Not only that, but secondly, God uses people at work to teach you how to love. He uses people to cultivate, to teach, and to deepen the love that you have. Ephesians 5.2 says, Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ. The Bible says that God is love. God wants you to become like him. By nature, I am not a loving person. And guess what? Here's a secret. You ready? Ready? Listening? Neither are you. Yes, that's right. You are not loving. You are a selfish person just by your nature. And guess what? So am I. We are all selfish. Humans by nature are the most selfish things in the world. Even as babies, the first words coming out of our mouths are, I, 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 feed me, burp me, cuddle me, change me, meet my needs, take care of me. And if not, I'm going to cry. I'm going to scream. I'm going to throw a tantrum. Anybody who's a parent realizes they never have to teach their kids how to misbehave. So we grow up. And we grow up selfish unless we're taught otherwise. God has to teach us some lessons on loving. And one of the places God wants to teach you genuine love is through your work. And it doesn't come easy. He teaches it in a unique way that's not very fun. 
He does it by putting people around you who are the exact opposite of you, who are very different, who irritate you. Let's call them heavenly sandpaper. (laughs) God intentionally puts people all around you who rub you the wrong way. Why? Because it's easy to love people like yourself. It's easy to love the lovely. But God wants to teach you how to love the unlovely. So he puts some real jerks around you. He puts some real irritating people near you. He puts people who see life exactly the opposite way as you do. Maybe with the opposite political bent. He wants you to learn how to love. He uses problems to build your character and he uses people to build your love. Studies say over and over that the single greatest factor related to job success is the ability to get along with other people. How many of you have somebody you work with that you just don't like? You have to work with some very strange people. How does God want you to relate to them? The customers, the clients, the co-workers that you have to deal with at work. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, this Verse has one great phrase in it. It says, if it is possible. Whew, I'm glad that is there because there are some people that are impossible to get along with. I'm not talking about them. So as long as it's possible, no matter, you know, you can do it. (laughs) No matter what you do, there are going to be some cranky, grumpy, and grapey people out there. But as far as it depends on you, you're not the source of the irritation. You don't be the base of the problem. You try to get along. God wants to develop love through the people you have to work with. I remember when I first started as a pastor, as an intern, actually, and became a pastor. He told me, my my mentor told me, he said, look, a couple of people are going to tell you how wonderful your sermon is. Beware of them. They will become your greatest difficulty. He said, think about it. You haven't even graduated seminary. You don't even have your master's of divinity yet. And you've only spoken for what, four or five times. And you're going to give a sermon for the first time in a church and people are going to say how great you were. What are they thinking? What are they on? I mean, come on. Do you really think you're that good? Don't give it a big head. It takes seven years before you get comfortable speaking every week. And I was like, really? Seven years? He's like, yeah. He goes, so basically they have an agenda by being nice. Look for it. See who's super nice. So I did. So I got up there. I did my did my talk. And you know what? It wasn't that great. I don't even remember it. I'm sure it was terrible. And uh, even my wife was like shaking her head. <laughs> so actually, I don't remember. But I know it probably wasn't bad. So as people are leaving, you know, you shake the pastor's hand. So they were shaking my hand. And everyone was like, hi, nice to meet you. Glad to see you. Thank you. And stuff like that. Very calm. Thank you for the sermon and stuff like that. Very normal, pleasant conversations. Then right at the end, two guys came up, one right after the other, and they gave me compliments I did not deserve. And instead of giving me a big head, all of a sudden I said, danger, danger. And uh, that's all I could think about. And I remembered them forever because of that. And I realized these two are going to be the most difficult people that I'm going to have to love. (laughs) And you know what? It was beyond right. Over the next few years, as I was just an intern intern and learning, they caused no amount of difficulty for the pastor. And I was just about to be ordained, and we were having a meeting about how to handle handing over the responsibilities. I said, we need to ask. One of them had already left, and we need to ask this other guy. He needs to go. He needs to go to another church. And I'm usually not, you know, one to work out things, but there's sometimes it was impossible. And this was one of these times that it was impossible for this guy to get along. 
So since it wasn't possible, I was like, you know, he needs to go somewhere else and where he'll be happy with the direction and what they're doing. And we should wish him love. And I said, do it before I take over. Give me a break. So they did and talked to him. And it went over as well as you think it would. <laughs> it was terrible. So he was extremely unhappy and he stayed around. And then when I became a pastor, he asked me, I said, I agree with him. I think you should go. And he just looked at me like he was devastated. And I was like, look, you're not happy. There's nothing I can do to help. And you know what? He finally left. And within six months, I, I talked to him. And he was telling me how great of a time he was having in this other church. I was like, great. I'm so glad. Because I knew it wasn't going to work out with you here. And I didn't want him happy. So he was thriving over there after a couple months. And he was the only one I ever thought was a wise decision to leave. All the other difficult, hard to people, well, to love, they stayed. I don't think we would have much of a congregation if they left. If they left, I think I would have been left with 5% of the people remaining. I'm not exaggerating. Because people are tough to love. Let's be honest. I'm tough to love. No exaggeration. There's just a few people, the ones who are just like me, they were the ones I would have kept. Everybody else, I would have said, ah, you can go too. But... It was possible to work with them. And you're going to have these people all throughout your life that you're going to have to realize and have to work with how to love them. See, at work, there can be many different types of people. And I'm sure as I go through these, you're, you're going to be able to immediately think of people who fit these descriptions. All right. So here we have the first one is the demanding person. These are the little dictators. They're controlling, they're intimidating, they try to dominate, they're oppressive, they're rude, and they make unrealistic demands. Then you have the dishonest people. These are the people who don't have any integrity. They lie to you, they cheat, they promise you one thing and deliver another. They stab you in the back. They can't be trusted. Then you have disagreeable people. These are the chronic complainers. Oh, they're always negative, always grumpy, grouchy. They're never satisfied or content. They just love to argue and complain. They can just blow up without notice. Very negative. Then you have defensive people. They're touchy, thin-skinned. They're easily hurt, offended. They take offense at whatever you say. You have to walk on eggshells around them because you worry if you say the wrong thing, they'll get hurt. Then you have demanding people. They're the people who are always putting you down. They are so insecure that they are always attacking you constantly. They are insulting, disrespectful. They treat you like dirt. They're critical of everything you do. So how does God want you to deal with these kind of people? 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand. Love is not irritable or keeps a record of wrongs. God wants you to deal with these people in love. The more you learn to love unlovely people, to respond like Jesus would to people who don't deserve it, the more you grow spiritually. See, every person you come into contact that is an irritation is an opportunity to grow in love. In the church where I pastored, there was a family where they would go to Eagles games all the time. And since I was an avid Eagles fan, we clicked. We would talk about the Eagles after every service, much to the impatience of everybody around us. His wife would just smile and sit on the side and hardly ever talk. And one day I was out meeting somebody for lunch at Old Country Buffet. And I saw her working as a waitress. And I had no idea she worked there. And I had a rough time paying attention to the person I was with because I just watched her interactions. She smiled with every person. She was amazing. 
And there were all kinds of different people going in and eating out. And after that, I would go there all the time with people because, first of all, it was cheap and I could eat as much cheesecake as I wanted. So I was a fan of Old Country Buffet. And as I would go there and I would watch her dealing with customers, there was one guy who I saw a couple times and he was really demanding. And he would search for things to complain about with the buffet. He would say, the toast is too dark. The toast is too light. His eggs were too runny. They're too hard. Then he would say, I'm in a hurry. She ended up having this man as a regular customer because I listened to how she interacted with them, revealed a closeness not like other customers. She would literally bend over backwards to make him happy. But he continued to complain until one day he came in and I happened to walk in right behind him. He was furious that he was going to have to wait for a table because he never had to wait for a table. The restaurant was huge. It was a huge buffet. But just 20 minutes earlier, a huge bus pulled up with like 100 people in it. And there were no tables. And usually the restaurant always had room. But he kept grumbling about the holdup. And I smiled and said to him, I'm certain it won't be much longer. And when it came time to sit to seat him, she called his name over the speaker. Grumpy, your table's ready. Grumpy, to the front. He smiled so big and he started to laugh for the first time. He apologized to her and said, I didn't even realize how bad I was. I learned that sometimes you can use humor to get people to lighten up. Another interaction I saw was with a grumpy grandma. She used to come in and complain a lot about her croutons were too crunchy. The salt came out too fast. The sodas were watered down. And every time she offered to fix it, she would say, no, I'll just have it anyway. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with this lady? But my waitress friend just smiled and said, it's going to be okay. Right then, I heard her say, no, it won't. But my waitress friend just smiled and said, it will. Tears flowed down the grumpy grandma's face. And and my friend just sat down next to her and said, it's okay. And started to comfort her. And she said that she had lost her husband and her son. And she just found out that she had terminal cancer after having smoked for 60 years. No wonder she was grumpy. And my friend listened and prayed with her. She did and gave the grumpy grandma a hug. And what was interesting to me was that all her tables didn't complain that their server just left for 10 minutes. They all saw what was going on. And the normally boisterous buffet was serene and quiet. I learned a lot from my waitress friend about loving people. I think having to deal with disagreeable people all day will either turn you into the most bitter, nasty person or it will soften you to be more loving than you thought possible. Because usually the people who are the most cantankerous are the ones in the most pain. Remember, hurt people hurt people. When people act out, it's because they're in pain. And if you can remember that every time you are dealing with a tough-to-love person, it's a little bit easier to react the right way. When you offer patience, forgiveness, and understanding, it changes people. Today, there are so many hurting people who need to see the love of God. It's true that those who are hardest to love are usually the ones who need it the most. And God sent his son Jesus to die for us, to give us hope, forgiveness for everything, and a future to look forward to. And the next time you find yourself getting upset with an irritating person, just remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40. Whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do to me. God uses problems to change your character. And God uses people to teach you how to love. How does God use pressure at work? Well, he uses pressure at work to clarify my priorities. And every time you get under pressure, it means your priorities have gotten out of order. It probably means you're trying to do too much. Every time you get into pressure at work, you need to stop and ask this question. What am I really responsible for? 
See, pressure often comes when we assume additional responsibilities that really aren't ours in the first place. We take on too much. But God wants us to, to use pressure at work to teach you to clarify your priorities and to teach you to live responsibly, a balanced, responsible life. The Bible says in Ephesians, live life with a due sense of responsibility. That is a very rare virtue. People aren't interested in personal responsibility today. They're interested in personal rights. We're a nation of victims. We want to blame everybody else. It's not my fault. You don't hear anyone saying, I'm responsible for that. We want to blame the government for everything. We want to blame the environment. We're a nation of victims. Christians of all people should be the most responsible people in the workplace. And God says, live a life that is responsible. The Bible is very practical about this. You can't grow until you start accepting responsibility for your own actions and for your own attitudes. And once you do that, you start to grow. So how can you show responsibility at work? Number one, by keeping promises. Psalm 15 says, followers of the Lord keep their promises even when it hurts. Basically, is your word good? If you say you're going to do something, do you follow through? Are you a person of responsibility? Is it going to get done? Second, meeting deadlines. Proverbs 18.9 says, a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. Don't waste your employer's time like you're a saboteur. You're sabotaging the business. You're destroying the business every time you waste your employer's time. Meeting deadlines is a way of showing responsibility. Third, work without supervision. The Bible says don't work hard only when your master is watching. Work hard all the time as though working for Christ. Christians should be known to not need a supervisor because they work on their own initiative. They work without having to be supervised. They work because they have character. I just, I just had a conversation with somebody about this where they're talking about in the pandemic how the company that they work for, all the customer service people are upset because they're forced to come back to work because when they were working at home, they did a terrible job answering calls because they were in their home environment. I guess they didn't work well, but now they have to go back to work and they're, they have to work five days a week. They're throwing attitudes because they did a terrible job they were given a great opportunity to work from home and, and to do their job. They, they were terrible. So then when they got back to their job, they just kept throwing a fit. And now he's, he was telling me how they can't even tell customers on the phone. They can't even ship them to customer service. They have to write down their name and number and tell them to call them back because their customer service is so bad that they'd have to wait on the line on hold for an hour while before the pandemic, it was maybe two to five minutes all because people didn't know how to work without supervision. Fourth, controlling costs. Luke chapter 16 says, if you're not faithful with other people's money, why should you be entrusted with money of your own? Some people spend their boss's money as though they were the government. And I know of a Christian who's a clerk and a customer came to him one day and asked him to do something dishonest. And the clerk said, no. Well, don't worry, your boss isn't here. And, and the clerk responds, my boss is always here. Who do you work for? Do you work for God? He's watching. He's there. When the pressures come in your life this next week at work, realize that God is using them to clarify your responsibility and help you set some priorities. I want to make one thing very clear. There are a few people who accidentally let work run over them, who do so much for their boss, for their company, that they lose all balance in their life, where work takes over. For them, the pressure of work makes them do much more than they should. And they're taking on too much responsibility. 
And they may need to leave that job because they have assumed too much work, too much responsibility, where their boss is taking advantage of them or using them because another people don't step up to the plate. So now they have to. And that's too much. So even though I've been talking about stepping up and taking responsibility, don't let pressure cause you to do too much. That's on the other side of it. So regardless of what you do, you may be a teacher, a realtor, a salesperson, a manager, regardless of what you do, your work matters to God. And God wants to use your work to help you grow spiritually. Now, most people try to compartmentalize their life and they say, I've got my spiritual life here. I pray, I go to church here. And over here is my work, my secular life. The problem there is that the word secular doesn't exist in the Bible. God does not divide the two. It's just basically your life, whether it's working or at home. And since work is such a high percentage of your life, God is obviously very interested in being a major part of that. And God wants you to use your work to help you grow spiritually. He wants to use problems, pressures, and people to develop your character. The only question I should say is, will you cooperate with this character development program? See, the most important thing that you're bringing home from your work isn't your paycheck. It's you. It's your character. Are you changing? Are you growing? Are you developing? Are you responding to the things in a work in a way that you end up being a better person at the end of the day? If not, you're missing out on one of the major areas that God wants to work in your life. Ask God to help you use the problems and the pressures and the people in your life to help you grow. Well, I hope that gave you a different perspective about work and maybe a little encouragement today. So God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod. Then you have demeaning people.